Okay, if you have an outline with you, we're going to take a little quiz to start today. I want to make sure your brains are functioning. Uh, I've noticed lately that you're a little off, and so uh, I'm going to need you to be better than that today. So we're going to talk about um, 10 questions, all right, 10 questions. Today we're talking about resetting uh, our confidence. We're going, to, uh, we're going to be able to answer the ultimate question, but we're going to start with a couple of 10 less ultimate questions. So uh, without further ado, uh, question number one. Uh, how long was the Hundred Years' War? So, on your outline, uh, you're going to see there's a blank. You want to write down your answer, or at least think about it. Um, number two, which country makes the Panama hat? <laughs> write down your best answer for that. <clears throat> Three, from which animal do we get cat guts? Cat guts. Four, uh, in which month do the Russians celebrate the October Revolution? <clears throat> and you're going to have an uh, opportunity in a minute to shout out your, uh, your uh, intelligent answers. Um, what is a camel hair brush made of? Number five. Six, um, what color is the purple finch? Seven, the Canary Islands in the Pacific are named after what animal? What animal? Eight. What was King George the first name? Uh, nine. Where are Chinese gooseberries from? And ten. How long was the Thirty Years' War? Thirty Years' War. All right. Everybody have answers? All right. Great. Uh, anybody want to shout out how long was the Hundred Years' War? Uh, it was 116 years, actually. Um, it lasted from 1337 to 1453. So, how'd you do on that one? Anybody get that? Okay. All right. Uh, who, wh- what country makes the Panama hat? Well, China makes everything. Uh, that's like going to Sunday school and having Jesus as the answer. Uh, that's always right. But uh, other than that, it was originated in um, Ecuador. Ecuador makes the Panama hat. Cat gut comes from what animal? What? What? A cougar. A cougar. Um, horses. Horses. Cat gut comes from horses. The Russians celebrate the October Revolution in what month? Do you know? November. It's November. November's the answer. Camel hair brush made of. Did anybody get squirrel hair? Because that's the right answer. The purple finch is what color? It's red. Yes, who said that? Good on you. Good on you. Oh, you were here first service. Come on, Janet. Oh, Janet. <laughs> Janet, come on. Come on down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, it's kind of sad. One for six. Okay. The Canary Islands, named after what animal? This one's really cool, by the way. It's named after the dog, a dog. Uh, in Latin, the dog's name is Insularia Canaria, and so they call it the Canary Islands. Uh, King George's first name, I got 10 bucks if anybody knows this one. That's a good answer. Um, Albert. Albert. Chinese gooseberries come from... 
Yeah, well, you're picking up on the, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, New Zealand, New Zealand, and the Thirty Years' War. Does anybody like to guess how long the Thirty Years' War was? Thirty years, come on. Okay, all right, so uh, it really was 30 years. I know, it's, it's a chumpy way to end that thing. Okay, so not important questions, but there is a question that we really need to know the answer to, and there's this ancient sort of Arab proverb that talks about different kinds of people and their knowledge. And it says, that this proverb says, there are those who uh, don't know that they don't know. They kind of think they know, but they don't know. And they're very dangerous because they think they know, but they really don't know. There are those who do know uh, that they don't know. These are really good because that's, then you can learn. You can, you're teachable. You're moldable. These are the people like myself who go to YouTube and look at videos because we know we don't know how to do this. So I need some assistance. There are those who don't know uh, that they do know. They're aware, um, they have the knowledge, they just don't know that they have the knowledge. And then there are those, and this is kind of what we want to become with the ultimate question today, uh, those who do know that they do know. And so uh, the big idea for the day is this. It's possible to know the eternal question, that is, that I know I'm certain that I'm saved. Occasionally I ask people, or people will ask me about their salvation, do we know? And, and I've had people before say to me, well, I hope so. Well, I hope so isn't the right answer, because you can know. In fact, the Bible tells us that we really need to pursue this knowledge. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm. Uh, the word confirm, you can know. Be eager to know of your call and your election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. There's this... There's this wonderment, this, this blessing in knowing where you're going. That I'm certain that when I pass from this life to next, I can know, I can be certain of salvation. So that's the question we're going to ask today. Really, there's no more important question in all the world. We're going to talk about, and we talk about in the uh, outside, you know, hey, uh, who's going to win the football games today? Or, or blah, blah, you know, sports, sports. And, and I know we get excited about this stuff. The ultimate question is, where are you going to spend eternity? It's the eternal, most important question of all time. And you can know. You should be eager to confirm. Um, the other day, did, I don't think I've told you this. Uh, my daughter, Mallory, is getting married, and she's getting married the Saturday before Mother's Day in Michigan. So I made a flight because uh, I can't miss Mother's Day Church. I'm not going to miss Mother's Day Church because well, this place would fall apart without me. And so, uh, uh, so I made a, a reservation, right? And they send you a confirmation of your reservation. And, and you got to know. I don't want to get up there and then think, I've got, a, I've got a reservation. I need confirmation. Because one thing you don't want to do is get to the airport and not have a ticket, not have a confirmation, not have a reservation. So this is talking about... Hey, you can know this. So how do you know it? Well, uh, we're going to talk about three ways. And, and really, this is kind of cool because it's sort of layered. At, at the base, at, at the core, is a head knowledge. I know there was a time, I know personally, there was a time in my life when I came to an understanding that I had sin in my life, and my sin separates me from God. And, and I knew this. I was seven years old. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the left-hand side of the couch. 
722 Maple Avenue. I know what, what wall the couch was up against. The fireplace was right there. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was seven years old. I don't remember what I did yesterday, uh, but I remember that. Seven years old. And, and I made a conscious decision to go from uh, sinner without salvation to asking the Lord to forgive my sins. The, the Bible puts it this way. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not you might be, you could be, it's probably, you can hope so. This is confirmation of your reservation. You can know that you're saved mentally. I make a mental, I, I go from I, I, I know I don't have salvation to I know I do have salvation. And the Bible promises us that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, here's what's great about God. He gives us more than this. That's the base core level, and that's really, really important. And if this was all you had, it would be enough. But there's more. There's more. The second way is this. Oops. Wow, that went three forward. The second way is the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and to guide us. Let me show you a couple of verses from Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies, certifies, confirms with our spirit that we are God's children. Let's look at a couple of words here. Couple of expressions. The one here is uh, so that you live in fear. Um, in ancient times, and even actually today, sometimes there are people who have a fear of God. They're afraid He's going to zap them. That 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 He is against us somehow. And and so back in ancient times, you'll read it even in the scriptures. There were people who needed to appease their their gods. And they would do it through different, sometimes it was sexually, and sometimes it was, it was um, through a, a sacrifice, sometimes it was human sacrifice. There were lots of ways of doing this. But it all stemmed from a fear, a fear. Now, when we become followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us, resides within us. And the idea is He takes that sort of, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm quaking in fear of God away. We're not designed to be afraid of God. He's our Father. Now, I had a great dad growing up. My dad's name was Lawrence. Daddy was a good, he was a good daddy, and, he, and I knew he loved me. But I had a reverence, I had a reverent fear of him. I respected him. Now, sometimes when you're a young person, I've told this story before, but it's kind of the best one I can think of to illustrate this. When I was about 18, 19 years old, what we did every Sunday was we would go to church, never miss church, Sunday school, church. Then after church, we'd come home. Mama had cooked lunch. It was great. We had lunch. At about 2 or 2.30, 3 o'clock, something like that, all my buddies from church would drive over to my house, and we would play football in the backyard every Sunday, unless it was summer. But beginning in the fall, kind of through the winter, we played football in the backyard every week. Just hardly any exceptions. We loved it when it rained because that was great. If it snowed even better, we'd play outside football every Sunday. So, 
When you play football outside every Sunday, you develop some football clothes that you wear. It's not stuff you're going to wear out ever again. It's, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirts and stuff that people have grabbed and pulled and poked and it's got holes and it's all tattered. And it's easy to identify football clothes because they just, they look trashy and you don't care because you're going to go out rolling in the mud. It's all good. So I was walking through the kitchen. My daddy was sitting there. Daddy says to me, innocently enough, you going to play football? And my 18-year-old snarky self replied, No, Daddy, I'm going to a dance. And Daddy leaned up, and he said, Boy, anytime a sentence begins with boy, it's not good, by the way. Boy, you can talk to your sisters like that. Don't you ever talk to me like that. And I never did. After that, it was like, okay. So there's this reverence I had for him. And that's what the Bible talks about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean we're afraid of him. He's our father. And here's what I knew about my dad is that he always had my best interest at heart. I I never questioned that. I don't question it today. And I don't have to question that with my heavenly father. He has my best interest at heart. Now, the Holy Spirit helps us. It helps us not to live in fear. And also, the Holy Spirit leads us as God's children. He, He sort of helps us know that we're God's children, and he uses a couple of means. The first one is through his word. Now, I don't know if, you're, if you made any resolutions this year, and I hope that reading your Bible is one. Did you know that January 19th today is um, called Quitter's Day? Because usually by January 19th, people that have made New Year's resolutions have quit by, by January 19th. If you've made a resolution to read your Bible, let me encourage you, keep it up, way to go, good for you. Even if it's not much of the Bible, because this is how it works. And, and by the way, I've made a, a commitment this year to read my Bible through. Sometimes I'll just read the New Testament through over and over. This year, I'm, I'm going to read it all. I've got a one-year Bible. That's what I use. I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. And so I'll read, um, it's usually a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, um, maybe a chapter in the New Testament, uh, a psalm. If it's a really, really long psalm, it's part of a psalm, and then a little bit of a proverb. And, and I, read, I read that every day. And... For me, getting that in my mind, I've read through the Bible several times, but every time I read it, I look at things or I see things or maybe in the moment I see stuff stuff that I hadn't seen before. It helps me. You don't have to read the whole Bible. But God's Word guides us. It helps us. And so, let's say I'm dealing with somebody and they're not... It's a customer service issue and I'm not getting the answers I want and I'm tempted to lose my cool. But I remember that the Bible says that... uh, All men and women are created in the image of God. And this person, therefore, is a precious soul to God. And I really have no right to be short with them because they're created in God's image. And then I remember that Jesus said, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's from the Old Testament too. And I remember that the golden rule is one of the best ways to live. And if I wouldn't want somebody getting all on me, then I probably ought to not get all on that person. The Bible is... In my heart, the Holy Spirit brings it to my conscience so that I can use it. That's how He, he helps us with these things. Now, um, one more thing. Uh, it says here that... Did, did I pass one? Yeah. It says here that 
the fear of the Lord, the spirit uh, you received brought about your adoption. And I don't want us to blow by the word adoption because it's really important, especially in this context, first century context. So let me tell you how adoption went down in the Roman world. Um, today, children that are adopted are typically children who are coming out of a, a desperate situation. Um, their parents have died. Um, their parents are um, not around. And usually, the adopting family, um, to some extent, is doing that child a good service. They see their need, and they're bringing them into the family because of the child's need. Not so in the first century. Um, if, if I was a dad, and, um, you know, when you're, when you're a parent of, of, and you have kids... You get what you get, right? I mean, you know, I've got four daughters. I don't have any say. didn't have any say in their intellect or anything like that. And, and so sometimes we have kids and we think to ourselves, well, you know, I wish they were a little more athletic or I wish they were a little sharper, you know, a little more intellectual. Like this one kid, he, he finally figured out that his mom was the tooth fairy. So at supper one night, he, he says, Mama... Um, are, are you the tooth fairy? Now, you know as a parent that, that it's like, you kind of breathe out, and it's like, oh, man, you know, the, the sort of the innocence is lost now, and it's kind of a rite of passage. And she said, um, well, I guess I am. And he said, I thought so. And then they were at bed. And he, she was tucking him in for bed. And he said, how do you get in all the other kids' houses? So sometimes... That's funny. I'm sorry. Y'all ain't laughing enough for that. Um, sometimes we, we sort of wish more of our kids. We love them. It's not that we don't love them. but All right. In first century, there, there's a Latin expression for this. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's called patria potestas. That means the father is in charge. Can I get a witness? The father is in charge the way God intended. Uh, back in the day... First century is really not good. Um, the father had ultimate rights in the family. The wife had no rights. The kids had no rights. In fact, if I became poor, if I uh, became indebted, one of, the, one of my options as a dad, I could sell my children or even my wife into slavery because of this rule, the, the uh, patria potestas. All right, so having this ultimate authority, and let's say I have... Um, I have an inheritance to give, and I look at my natural children, and I say to myself, well, uh, they're not worthy of receiving this. Then I might look to someone else's children to see if there might be a, another son. Usually it was a son. It could be a daughter. There might be another child that I could bring into my family. That would. It's like I'm going to bring in a ringer, right? I'm bringing in a ringer. Y'all ever play church basketball and you brought in a ringer? You know, your cousin that played at Furman shows up, he's 6'8", and you put one of your jerseys on him and you act like he's been to your church. He doesn't know where church is, but you bring in a ringer, you know. Well, this is what this father might do. He, he might say, I, I look, I scan, I can anticipate. My kids aren't going to really be what I need them to be to carry on this family. But I see in this child, this son, this son I might want to adopt into sonship. I see in him what I really would like to see in my own kids. And they would 
negotiate. They, they, would, they would negotiate. This dad, who has an inheritance, has an estate to leave, might talk to this dad and say, hey man, um, I'd like to bring your son over and adopt him. Now, a, a dad, you might think, how horrible. Well, this dad, there might be two reasons, if you think about it, maybe more. He might be saying, you know, my son will be better off there. That, what an opportunity for him. Uh, we, you know, we love him, but my word, he, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Or the, the dad might be operating from merely selfish motives. He might say, I can use this money. They looked at kids differently than we do. And so they, <coughs> they would negotiate this price, and it was this formal process. They were kind of, they go to the courthouse or whatever legal place, it was a courtyard, honestly, and they would set up some scales. You know, the scales. And this dad who wanted to be the adopter would put, you know, copper coins on the scales. And this dad who was selling his son would almost give him away and then say, no, 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 I can't do it. And they would go huddle in their camps and they negotiate some more. And there would be a second round of this. And the copper coins on the scales would happen. And, and the, the adopter would try to adopt the son. And the second time, the son would almost be adopted and he would pull him back. No, 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 I can't do it. Third time. Third time, they'd go through the process and the coins would be placed on the scale and this dad would relinquish the rights to his son to this dad. There would be adoption from one family to another. This kid would go from poverty to wealth. This kid would go from instability to stability. That, that was the idea. And so when... When Paul, who writes this letter, says this whole thing about uh, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship, this is what they would be thinking of, this, this process. Now, four things occurred in this process. Number one, when this child goes from this family, this poorer family, to one of wealth, he has no claim on this family anymore. He can't go back to dad. He's not going to go back there and ask for directions. Or he, he leaves this life and this becomes his life. And there's kind of a break. Goes from there to here. Second thing, this kid now inherits this estate. Even if the father has more sons later, this kid inherits the estate. It doesn't matter. Even if you are a natural-born child, you have no greater claim on this estate than this adopted child. You go to the head of the line. You're at the top of the queue. You become the main inheritor of the estate. The third thing is, if this child was in debt, all those debts are wiped out. His record is expunged. I love that word. Expunged. He, he loses all of the baggage and he comes here with a clean slate. This dad takes care of all those debts. The new dad takes care of all of that stuff. He goes from poverty to wealth. And in the eyes of the law, you could never unadopt. So once this child comes to this family and becomes, and he would have gotten the best education. He would have been the apple of his dad's eye and it would all have fallen to him. And the old life is gone and this is the new life. And we see this language not just here, but throughout Scripture. Look at this one. 
Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. It's erased. It's expunged. A new life has begun. This is what the Holy Spirit reminds us of. Not only did we make a verbal commitment, we made a mental assent. We decided that I, I was not saved, I need to be saved. I made a decision to, to ask for forgiveness and to ask for guidance. I did that. Then the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in my life, and He reminds me that that old way of life, even though sometimes I drift back to it, that is not my life anymore. I am a son of of the king and an heir to the throne. And so are you when you become a follower of Christ. That language is everywhere in Scripture. And then there's a third thing. The third thing is we start to notice that we begin to act more like God. We, we begin to act like Jesus acted. We see in our lives some of the things that Jesus did in his life. Again, another reason to read the Bible, at least the New Testament, is how did Jesus act? Because when I read how Jesus acted, I'll know how I should act. There's a guy, this guy's name is Fred DeMera. He was a fake. He was a phony. He pretended to be a lot of things he wasn't. Uber smart. Uh, IQ off the charts smart. He lived in the 50s. He faked, listen to this, he faked being a civil engineer and he designed bridges. He faked being a sheriff's deputy, an assistant prison warden, a doctor of applied psychology, a hospital orderly, a lawyer. He, he died at 50, by the way. I mean, he did all this really, really quick. Um, a hospital orderly, a lawyer, a child care expert, a Benedictine monk, an editor, a cancer researcher, and a teacher. And in 1951, he founded a college which still exists today. He was also a Navy surgeon, or at least he pretended to be. He's on a Canadian naval vessel during the Korean War. There are some, uh, some um, folks who are injured in a battle. They bring them on board the ship, and they ask him to, they look to him to perform surgery, which he's never done. So this guy, I read it this morning, it's unreal. This guy goes to his room. What's a room on a ship called? What? Purse? That place. Uh, He goes to that place. He gets out a medical book and he reads, he speed reads about surgery, how to do it. And then he goes and operates on 13 people. Taking out shrapnel. I mean, he'd never done it. He's brilliant. He reads it. He speed reads it. He goes in and yet every one of them survived. And that's how he got caught, by the way. Because he was under a fake name. He had taken the name of a real surgeon. Well, when the real surgeon's mother read about this act done by her son, which really wasn't her son, she said, that's not my son. The, this is really funny. The Canadian Navy was so embarrassed that they had let this guy in, they just dismissed him. Didn't press charges, anything like that. He eventually died as a chaplain, <laughs> which is really funny to me. Okay, uh, as a chaplain in a, in a hospital in Orange, California. S- some people aren't what they appear. Now, the question today isn't, do people think you're a Christian? 
Because that really isn't the question. It doesn't matter what people think. Do you know, do you know you are? Well, have you ever verbally made, you know, have you ever uh, believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus, have you ever done that? Have you ever made a decision? Have you ever said, I need somebody to save me because I'm a sinner and that separates me? Have you ever done that? Do you have evidence that the Holy Spirit kind of guides you at times? Not perfectly, nobody's perfect with this, but do you ever, are you ever guided by the Holy Spirit? Do you ever act like Jesus? Because acting like Jesus act means you obey his word. Again, you have to know the word to obey the word. Look at what it says. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Can it be any clearer than this? It's really clear. If someone claims, fakes, says, I know God but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar. I love the way John really doesn't pull any punches here. And is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. There's different motivations for obedience. Sometimes I obey because I'm afraid. Have you ever been driving? I don't know anybody else is like this, but sometimes I'm driving and all of a sudden I'll look up and there's a police officer behind me. Anybody ever have that feeling? What happens to you? You get off the gas, don't you? I mean, you, you look to see. First thing I do is, am I speeding? Uh, second thing I think of is, have I been swerving? You know, have I not been paying attention? Because now I'm afraid. I'm afraid the man is going to pull me over. I'm afraid. And even if, I haven't, even if I'm not speeding, I'm going the speed limit, I still slow down. Because I'm afraid, you know, I might have done something. There's a, sometimes we're motivated by fear. Sometimes we're motivated by need. I, I need to do this. And so I might have a job that I don't like, but I need to do it because I have to feed my family. So I'm obedient, not because I want to be, but because I need to be. But then the third way, the motivation of love. God's Word truly shows how completely we love Him. We are motivated by love. When Miriam asks me to do things, she doesn't command. And I, I don't do it because I fear her. And I certainly don't do it because I need to. I do it because I love her. I, I want to. And, and so when we find ourselves living out God's Christ-likeness, it's because we love Him. The second way we know that we, live, uh, that we act like Jesus is by living the way He lived. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. We should live our lives as Jesus. We've we, we got to look like Him. We, we should see ourselves doing some of the things Jesus did. This is a picture of the Alamo, and that is a portrait that's in the Alamo of a guy named James Butler Bonham. Now, James Butler Bonham's uncle actually served at the Alamo and died. But there was no picture, no portrait of him, so this is the inscription. They have this picture, and it says, This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased who greatly resembles his uncle. Well, no portrait of Jesus exists, but we have opportunity to live like Jesus lived. There's a guy named Wilborn who talks about it this way. For all of those of you who are superhero nerds, he talks about the difference between Spider-Man and Batman. Batman is a superhero, but mostly he doesn't have like... He's a superhero because he has gadgets, right? He's powerful and wealthy and he has gadgets. But Spider-Man has been changed from the inside out. He was bitten by a radioactive spider. What do you become if you're bitten by a radioactive palmetto bug? I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering out loud. 
get a hard crust. I, I don't know. You're hard to kill and you show up in people's houses when they don't want you. That, that would be what happens. Spider-Man had an internal change that affected how he did life. I think it's a pretty good illustration, honestly. We start to act like Jesus acted, and we start to love like Jesus loved. Dear friends, he says, John says, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one, the one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. It's the same one Jesus said, love your neighbor, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same, it's the same commandment. But then he says this, yet it is kind of new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it, for the darkness is disappearing. It's a process. It didn't all disappear at one time. You didn't get saved, and now you're perfect. It's disappearing, and the light is becoming more evident. You're you're getting less dark and more light. How do you know that you're a follower of Christ? Well, you know because you've made a decision. You know the decisions you've made. You know it because I made a decision mentally. I know it. Number two, I feel the Holy Spirit guiding me. And though I don't always listen, I know He's guiding me. I know He's guiding me to do certain things, and I know He's guiding me against certain things. I can feel the Spirit's guidance. And thirdly, I can see myself through the Spirit's guidance acting more and more like Christ. That's how you know. Can you know? Yeah. Are these things evident in your life? I mean, that's the question you have to ask and answer. After the service, I always hang out right here. I'm happy to hang out today. And if you have questions about this, this is the most important question there is. So if it's not settled, I'll help you. I'll do everything I can to help you. 